You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Joining us on the Martha Zoller podcast, I got to talk to Senator Tim Scott before the election, so a lot has changed, but the message is the same. Joining me right now is Senator Tim Scott. He is the senator from the great state of South Carolina. While I'm not from South Carolina, my family is from South Carolina. Grew up in Lexington. My mom's family were the Roofs, the Hooks, the Haltawangers, and all of the Sheelys. So I'm sure you have crossed paths, Senator Scott, with many of my mom's relatives. So welcome to the program. Thank you so much, and God bless Lexington County. It's one of the uh, deepest red to the root counties in all of South Carolina, and it sounds like your family seems seems so fantastic. Yeah, it's so funny. It's where you go. Recently, we lost my uncle, who was 98 years old, and he was buried in the cemetery plot at St. Stephen's Lutheran Church in Lexington, and so we got to spend a little time there, and while it was a celebration, he was 98 years old, and it was wow. a sad day, but it was a great day, and he loved South Carolina, too. But it was looking at all those graves from all those years, it was it was humbling because it reminds you where you came from. We're so glad you've been so involved in Georgia in this election, and I know that you are supporting strongly Herschel Walker. 1,000%. I'm talking about taking Georgia back to its roots. Ruby red, that's the root system of Georgia. I love the fact that we're going to have a Republican senator from Georgia. Think about the last time we had this opportunity just a little bit more than 18 months ago. Literally one Republican loss in Georgia cost $5 trillion in spending. The price tag for one seat in Georgia is nearly $5 trillion. So this is the most important seat for us to win and return the majority to the conservative party so that we have common sense solutions on inflation, on crime, on gas. We can do it, but it does take a majority. There is a real opportunity to reach out to people in a way that that hasn't happened in a long time. Because when people are hurting at the gas pump, at the grocery store, with their inflation all across the board, they're willing to look at other ideas. And this is a unique opportunity, a unique moment in time for us as Republicans to communicate our ideas because they're better for this country. Well, Martha, I couldn't have said it better. Our ideas work. There aren't black ideas or white ideas. There's not a black way or a white way or Hispanic way. There's only an American way. American conservatism works for every segment of our population. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Number one, from 2016 to 2020, we had the majorities in the White House, the House, and the Senate. We brought unemployment for African Americans, Hispanics, Asians, all to the lowest level in recorded history, a 70-year low for women. Overall, 3.5%, a 50-year low for all populations in our country. We funded historically black colleges and universities. Morehouse and every other HBCU in the country received record-breaking funding, and we made it permanent. That was the Republican Party who made those gains. 
sickle cell anemia, opportunity zones, restoring our credibility and our faith with our allies, and restoring fear to our adversaries. The Republican majorities brought this nation strong, measurable progress. We need it again, especially as crime has exploded. Gas is too expensive. Inflation is too high. And Biden and the Warnock pay cut, devastating your paychecks. So you have become a real voice for the Republican Party. You are one of the most trusted people in the Republican Party. I know you're up for re-election, too, and I know you want people to get out to the polls. And we have some listeners in South Carolina with the way our signal is. So I know you want to get them out to the polls, too. But, you know, how do we continue making sure that once we get this majority back, that we hold Republicans accountable to make sure we continue doing all of this? Martha, that's a really important question. The first thing we have to do is make sure that our majority governs. Not that we just talk about the platitudes of being conservatives, but that we implement policies and create the contrast that will be necessary. It will still be tough sledding in a way because Biden will still be in the White House. So what we can do is we can stop spending. That will lower, absolutely lower inflation. We can put parents back in charge of education and stop having them call domestic terrorists because they show up at school board meetings and they want something really strange. They want to know what their kids are learning. They're tired of CRT and they're ready for ABC. We need to make sure that these simple principles, simple philosophies are embedded in how we approach governing. I call it the three E's, energy, the economy, and education. And then I'd add an O for oversight. We need to hold this administration accountable for the rogue behavior from the FBI to the SEC to the CFPB. And if everyone doesn't know the alphabet soup of Washington, that's good news. (laughs) You don't need to know. There's no accountability is coming. You know, uh, my friend John Addison, who uh, was with Primerica, has, I see him a lot. He lives here in Gainesville. I see him a lot. He talks a lot about you and the great work that you did. And you had some connection to Primerica, didn't you, at some point in your past? Absolutely. I used to, I spent 20 years in the insurance business. And when Primerica owned A.L. Williams, I literally was one of the agents, but my mother was licensed as well. Uh, part of my start and my understanding of the entrepreneurial spirit and the opportunities to figure out your income and work your butt off to get there started with companies like New York Life, A.L. Williams, and Allstate. Now, you're an African-American man. You li- you're from South Carolina. The African-American male vote has been more talked about in this election cycle than I think anyone I can remember. Prior to this election cycle, what people always just said, as Joe Lowry famously said, the Republicans take us for granted and the Democrats just take us. And but the African-American vote is up for grabs in a way it hasn't been since it switched in the 1960s from Republican to Democrat. Absolutely, Martha. We have an opportunity to move the African-American community closer to the value system that has percolated within the community my entire life. African-Americans have consistently been conservative. What we as Republicans need to do is what your governor, Brian Kemp, has done. He's walked out of his doors and walked into the communities. One of the reasons why Herschel Walker and Brian Kemp are going to win tomorrow is because they continue to not only 
represent the right value system, they speak it in front of every audience. It's one of the things I love, Martha, about being a Southerner. I, I will say I'm an American by a gift of God, and he gave me a special anointing to be born in the South. I have watched the evolution of, of, of Southern states in a powerful, measurable way. And when we communicate our message to the audiences that need it the most, we win because they win. We cannot and should not win as elected officials if the people that we serve aren't gaining confidence in our policies, but also in our affection for who they are. Politics is not about the elected officials. We are, we are actually employees. We work for the American people. We work for Georgians and South Carolinians. When we understand that it is leadership by being a servant, we get it right. You know, and that, that I'm glad you said that because that makes me think about the fact that what we're hearing a lot from Democratic leaders, including President Biden, is that there's a group of people among us, about half of us, they don't really care that much about. About half of us, they think we're pretty dumb. About half of us, they think we're a danger to the democracy. And they're verbalizing that in a way. I mean, it used to be at least politicians would act like they liked you. Now you've got a Democratic Party that's going out there and thinks that their closing argument ought to be uh, if you vote a certain way, you're a threat to, to democracy instead of, hey, we might lose tomorrow, so maybe we ought to change our views. Well, Martha, you said it so well. I don't, I don't even want to try to repeat it. I will simply say when you think about Hillary Clinton to Joe Biden, you hear deplorables. You hear the democracies in jeopardy. You hear about violence. But what they don't talk about is the fact that Steve Scalise nearly lost his life. The number two in the, the House Republicans nearly lost his life because someone opened fire on him on a baseball field. They don't talk about in North Carolina a Republican candidate's home being shot at. The fact of the matter is we should all do our very best, according to Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love. We are in a battle for the soul of this country, and I refuse to walk away. I refuse to turn my back on common sense, universally held truth that comes from the gospel. We must defend this country, and one of the ways that we defend it is to stop people from spreading a cancer across this country by questioning not just the votes, but the motives, the intentions of an entire party. That's wrong, and the Democrats keep doing it. I'm sure you know that people toss your name around when they start talking about who should run for president in 2024 or 2028. Um, do you think about that at all? You know, I'll say 24 hours from my own Senate election, the thing that has been single in my mind has been winning back my seat and the majority for the Senate. I believe that the American story, the greatest story of a country in history, needs to be told by positive, powerful, forward-looking, leaning into problems kind of conservatives. I want to win my race before I even give any real thought to what's next. If you don't prove to your employers that you're worth their vote, nothing else matters. Senator Tim Scott. I know you want folks to get out and vote for Herschel Walker Please. and and yeah. for you. <laughs>
Absolutely. Hey, there you go. You can vote for two running backs, one who won the Heisman Trophy and me. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Bill Crane is joining me right now for Crane's Corner, and I know we're all a little bleary-eyed after last night, but it was overall a good night for state legislators, uh, but an interesting night uh, for United States Senate. Well, I, you know, I'd say it was a good night for all Republicans. Maybe the numbers weren't as good as some of the polling would indicate. But, you know, I sent you my snap analysis last week. I called the governor at 10% over Ms. Abrams. He finished the 8 and 5, and we're not done yet. We're still tallying results in the legislative races around. Um, we picked up a congressional seat in the 6th Congressional District for the GOP uh, with Rich McCormick's win. Um, so it, it on whole, I mean, I, you know, we don't know yet in U.S. Congress. There's still 41 still seats out, but of the five U.S. Senate contests, that have yet to be decided. Alaska will be a Republican because there's, it's a ranked choice voting with the 44 and 43% numbers are both Republicans. Lisa Murkowski, the incumbent is right now trailing, but they're only, they only have about 66% of that vote tally. Um, Nevada will go Republican. Arizona will go Democratic. Wisconsin's Republican. And that leaves Georgia and one other state to determine the U.S. Senate majority again. It looks like the GOP will have 50 before the Herschel Walker Rafael Warnock runoff on December 6th. So um, it'll be the deciding of the power, right? Because if yep, Herschel well, we Walker, will be uh, election yeah. election central again for all of us who just want to see more ads. Um, at least the owners of our properties. I mean, the folks at Jacobs Media are probably smiling. And I do want to point out, Martha, one of the things that was significant and why turnout always matters so much. And we talked about this in 2020. The GOP only carried two of the top 10 counties by population of vote in 2020. They added a third in Forsyth County, Cherokee County, and Hall County. And the margins in Hall County were so strong for the GOP that they made a difference in several of those state races. Absolutely. And the Senate is 33-23, uh, so not quite a constitutional majority. I have not counted up the House yet, but it looks like they may have a constitutional majority again. Um, but yeah, I'm, It looked pretty close to bulletproof, but again, I, I don't want to when there are races still out and, you know, people haven't conceded, I don't want to call races that haven't been called. No, absolutely. So, and my eyes are a little too bleary to count up 180 um, and figure out how many Republicans <laughs> and Democrats at this point in time. But it looks good for Republicans in the House. Uh, it also, in the Georgia House, it looks good in the House of Representatives. We picked up a seat. Um, it was not a red wave across the country, but we did pretty good in Georgia. Now, you did have those roughly 250,000 voters, 210,000 voters that voted for Brian Kemp, but didn't vote for Herschel Walker. And that's going to be something they're going to need to target uh, when it goes to a runoff, if it goes to a runoff. I understand there's about another 30,000 votes out there, but I don't think that's enough uh, to make it change. Uh, Herschel Walker's running a little bit behind uh, Raphael Warnock, or I'm, I think it might be the other way around now, but it's it's just a few, you know, few thousand votes that separate them. So it's going to be interesting to watch. But I wanted to take a moment while we had you today because uh, you work very closely with uh, Speaker Ralston. And of course, he made the announcement uh, last week that he would not be seeking the speakership. Uh, every 
House candidate I've talked to said they're getting lots of phone calls from people who want to be the next speaker. Uh, but tell us a little bit about that process and just really what uh, David Ralston meant to the state house. Well, the week after an election, the parties caucus and select their leaders. So next week, the GOP caucus of the House will meet, as will the Democratic caucus, and select their leaders. And there are several folks vying for that position. Before we go to the strengths and weaknesses of those candidates, I would just say, besides knowing Mr. Ralston for 30-plus years and considering him a friend, there's no question he's the second-longest-serving speaker in Georgia history. He's the longest-serving Republican. And you can talk about longevity, and and that obviously matters, but I want to look more at legacy. So we had the first real investment in behavioral health, mental health, in 50 years under his leadership, a number of income tax cuts, including the largest in the history of the state, Um, consecutive years, not only of the constitutionally required balanced budgets, but working with three governors through several recessions, we come into this legislative session when he started as speaker, we kind of had bare cupboards. There will be a $6 billion surplus that this Governor Kemp will, along with the legislature, roll into in the houses where spending bills originate. So some, some new programs and initiatives that the GOP has been looking at for some time but didn't necessarily have the resources for will be able to be considered and funded. Um, and some of that's going to come back in another rebate to taxpayers. There's going to be a homestead. rebate for those who are home and property taxpayers, and they're looking at another income tax cut made possible by that $6 billion surplus. And we had another record month of revenue in October for the state coming out of um, the pandemic, in part because we reopened early, but the Georgia economy continues to perform well. And you can look at the whole team over there, the governor, lieutenant governor, and speaker, two out of three of those changing out this January. Uh, We're in our ninth or tenth consecutive year as the best state to do business. And I will say about David Ralston that while we were not always on the same side, uh, and I'll tell this story now because enough time has passed, you know, I I called him just like everybody else when I was running for Congress. And we had a good relationship. And and when he was out in the wilderness after he ran for attorney general and was getting back in, I would have him on the radio program. And we had a great relationship. And we always have and we continue to. But he, he, he told me right up front, I can't support you. I've got to support Doug because he's in the state house. But here's 10 names of people you can call to raise money and, um, and tell them I told you to call. And that's the kind of person he was. He worked hard. He told you the truth. He told you where he was. And if he, didn't, if he wasn't on your side, he didn't mind telling you. And I respected that. Well, we hope he gets his health back, and he had no opponent last night. He didn't have a Democratic opponent, so he was reelected to serve the 7th District of the House, which is all of Fannin and parts of Gilmer and Dawson's County. So his his plan is to still be a part of the body, and if they want him on the leadership team to be on the leadership team, he just needed to focus on his health I understand. and his family. And he should, and, and, um, I, and I'm not talking about him in past tense, but I think it's good sometimes when things like this happen because you shouldn't wait until somebody's gone to say the nice things about them. <laughs> so it's good. Oh, and, and you've, always, you've always been, I think, two people that, even when you disagree, treat each other civilly, and we need more of that in politics. So tell us who you think's in the running for this. Um, Jan Jones, who is now the Speaker Pro Tem, and John Burns, who is the House Majority Leader, have supposedly worked out something, and, and the details of which I don't know. But everyone was kind of expecting the two of them to run against each other. Barry Fleming, 
who is an adversary of the speakers and who has been a critic of the speaker is, is announced that he is in the, in, in the race to be the next speaker. And then there are five or six other members of the house and, you know, including some folks who are not currently in leadership who are looking at it. So it could be kind of a fracas next Monday. I think uh, what we will see is probably two or three real solid candidates emerge, probably Jan Jones or John Burns. And Mr. Fleming, again, is going to get in it and possibly one other candidate um, with one of the two, either the existing uh, Speaker Pro Tem or House Majority Leader kind of taking that role. And Matt Hatchett, was going to run for speaker, but as of yesterday, the word is he's going to seek the position of majority. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. And, you know, my gut tells me Jan Jones doesn't really want that. Um, I could be wrong, but I think she's passed up a lot of opportunities in the past, and I think she likes where she is. But that's just me. We I don't have any evidence speaker, to go on. Speaker is, now, for all of the glory, speaker is not, in the U.S. House or the State House, is not an easy job. You have... Two parties with splits within themselves. You have 180 members. Um, you know, freshmen are already kind of learning the process, and you kind of kind of get them along to to get the discipline that this house has, and to move legislation through over to the Senate. And the House has really kind of been driving a lot of legislative flow in the last several years. And with a new lieutenant governor, that probably would have continued. But now you're going to have a new appropriations chair, a new speaker new leadership on the Republican House side with a strong majority and a new lieutenant governor in Burt Jones. So um, I think you'll probably see a little bit more of the governor in this legislative session. And I think that'll be great. Now, finally, in the last couple of minutes that we have, just your thoughts on the Senate runoff uh, that it looks like we're going to have, uh, you know, barring some sort of a miracle. There'll only be a month this time instead of going from November, first, second Tuesday in November to um January the 5th, as we did two years ago, this contest will be on Tuesday, December the 6th. With the changes in the Georgia Voter Integrity Act of 2021, there will be an 11-day window backwards from December the 6th to, to ask for your absentee ballot, which means those requests have to be in the day before Thanksgiving. And then one week, not three weeks, of early voting. So when you kind of shift back to that model, which is what we've had for the three prior other um Runoffs in Georgia in 1992, Paul Coverdell over Weish Fowler in 2004, Saxby Chambles over Jim Martin. I think structural advantages fall to the GOP, which, given that all the money and all the political leadership in the world will be coming here, the only thing I would caution to Herschel is I would take President Trump's PAC money, but I would not do an event with President Trump. Yeah, I think you're right, because we're talking about a 35,000-vote margin right now. Uh, with Herschel Walker at 48.5 and Raphael Warnock at 49.4. So you've got, you know, it's a very close race. Uh, I'm sure that if I'm Raphael Warnock, I'm kicking myself saying, I spent $150 million and I didn't get it for 50%. But but everything of their tactics in the last two to three weeks told me that they knew they were coming into a runoff. And Shane Hazel, you didn't mention the Libertarian, is still at 2.1% as the vote That's continues Chase to roll Oliver. In. Chase and, Oliver. Sorry, you're correct. You're correct. I'm, I apologize. Um, they, Mr. Hazel's run for about every position in Georgia as a Libertarian. But Chase Oliver is polling above 2%. And again, every time the Libertarian in a statewide race is above 2 in a close contest like this one, it's triggered a runoff. So is there any indication of how that'll end up? 
if if the will the libertarians not vote or will they vote for the Republican? Mr. Hazel wasn't kind to either Mr. Chastain. They weren't in the debates leaning either way. Uh, back, you know, roll the memory books back in the Wayback Machine. We saw what we had coming in the Coverdell race back in 92, and we asked Jim Hudson, the Libertarian candidate, to endorse us the morning after, along with the Ross Perot Coalition, Concord Coalition nominee who got uh, like half a percent of the vote, which happened. Um, the Libertarians could be critical and would typically, uh, from an issue standpoint, lean more to the GOP, but I don't know enough about either candidate to know if they'll do anything. So Chase Oliver, we'll see what happens with him and his 2% and whether people will get out to vote. Of course, they have not announced yet or confirmed that there will be a runoff. It is just looking more and more like that. There is 3% of the vote still out. Uh, but, you know, we don't know if that's 3% parts of counties. We don't know exactly anything about that. Uh, we will get more information with- as the week goes on. Bill Crane, you can go to... Uh, you can find Bill Crane on Facebook. He's certainly out there. Crane's Corner we do every week, and his columns are here on Access WDUN. Thanks for being with us today. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Commissioner John King is here with me. General John King, first of all, happy Veterans Day a day early. We appreciate your service and the fact that you're so committed to this country. Thank you, Martha. It's just absolutely, uh, uh, you know, we're excited. Uh, we're ready to tackle on to some real hard, difficult problems. And I have an incredible uh, group of trusted partners uh, being led by Governor Brian Kemp, uh, that uh, just knocked it out of the park. I'm really, really pleased. Well, and you are, you have been elected to this constitutional office. You are the first Hispanic uh, to be elected to a statewide constitutional office. I have seen you speak Spanish in front of a group before, and I think that is such an important thing. You know, my dad, long time ago, who was a POW in World War II, he... Um, made me take Spanish when everybody else was taking French when I went to high school. He says, no, half the world's going to be speaking Spanish, Martha. You need to know about Spanish. So he gave me good advice many years ago. I'm I'm afraid I understand it better than I can speak it, but um, still, I think it's an important thing. Tell us about this race and what you're doing now. Well, the key is now is is going and capitalizing on all, you know, there's an incredible amount of data. I mean, I'm just looking at, uh, for example, Hall County. I mean, we, we did fantastic. And, and I attribute that not only to strong Republican leadership there, but also uh, Latinos are, 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 are getting our message. They understand that they have a lot more in common, that the Republican Party has a lot more to offer to Latino voters, we we went and spent a lot of time and effort in trying to turn over uh, turn Latino voters over to the Republican Party, and I think we were relatively we were relatively successful. Uh, you know, Gainesville, Dalton, all these places where people were being crushed by this, you know, by the Biden economy. Uh, that uh, that they recognize that we have a plan, and and uh, and they're giving the trust of, of their vote to us. So what do you see now that you are going to take the oath of office in January? You'll be the, the full term as insurance commissioner. Um, tell us a little bit about what's next in the insurance commission's office. 
Well, first of all, Martha, we have to tackle the the rate of auto insurance rates. They've gone, you know, they've, they've been affected by inflation as well, among other factors. And so we're going to have to tackle those. I'm going to be seeking some additional authorities uh, from the legislature to be able to have some more tools to be able to use uh, in, in negotiating with companies so they don't break the back of Georgia consumers um, when it comes to auto insurance rates. Uh, you know, they all are taking losses. We're watching very carefully uh, what's happening in Florida with all the hurricane damage, and we're very mindful that we need to make sure that we protect uh, Georgia consumers to make sure that trouble companies don't come into our state. So we have to be very watchful for that. And then we have to continue tackling fraud. Uh, on the state fire marshal uh, side of, of, of this office, we're going to continue pushing our education, going into schools and, and making uh, the safety, you know, the message of uh, safety, of fire safety and smoke detectors and, uh, and having an evacuation plan. Well, some of the cornerstones of our office, and I, and I think we've had some great. We've been at this now three years, and now we just want to make all these changes permanent by uh, by having solid conservative uh, principles behind every everything that we try to do. Well, I'll tell you what, they couldn't have anybody better in that office uh, than you. Your logistics expert expertise, the work you've done as a soldier, as a police officer, as a person that knows how to motivate people. I mean, that's really what leadership is, uh, John. You've got to, it's not about you doing everything. It's about you giving the people around you the tools to be able to do the things that need to be done. Well, I am. I have an incredible team working in this office. We've gone out there and recruited. We've been very effective in our recruiting. People want to be part of this agency for once, and and we're excited to be attracting a a bunch of highly motivated folks that want to serve Georgia consumers. And I'm just, I I am very proud to be surrounded by this incredible talent. I mean, I, I am the. I guess as a as a former Atlanta policeman, I will always tell you, I. I am the eternal optimist. I think Georgia, we will have better days in front of us than, than behind us. Um, and that's, unfortunately, some of the, the, you know, the contrast between us and the opposition party. We think we have better days in front of us that, that, uh, and they don't. Absolutely. Con- John King, Commissioner John King, thank you so much. I almost called you Congressman, which we're not there yet, no, right? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> You, you, you know, I've, I've heard the earlier uh, earlier uh, caller talk about Rich McCormick. I am so excited about Rich. Uh, although I have to tease him a little bit about being a Marine, but uh, he's an incredible partner. And you know, we need solid conservative leaders in, in in Washington to protect Georgia because we are facing an incredible challenge of the federal government trying to erode the authority of, of constitutional officers in our state. And uh, and I, we fundamentally feel that we can do a better job on behalf of Georgians than somebody, some bureaucrat in Washington D.C. And Rich McCormick and, and the incredible, you know, new uh, Congress members uh, representing Georgia who are conservative are going to help us do that. Absolutely, John King. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, thank you so much. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.